One Hope Church. Let's go ahead and go to, in, to God in prayer, and then we'll read our passage. Lord, you are so much higher and holier than we can imagine. Lord, we need your word to tell us who you are because we cannot begin to imagine correctly who you are without your guidance. So we just ask for the strength and the ability to comprehend what you are saying to us. We ask for submissive hearts that would um, seek only to know truth and to submit to the truth revealed in your word. Lord, we thank you for this time. Um, we know that there are, there are so many, even this morning, who have died and they never heard your word. So Lord, we just are humbled by the fact that you have allowed us to know you you have given us this opportunity to see who you are. Lord, I just ask that we would take full advantage of this opportunity and that we would seek to know you with our whole hearts. We pray all of this for the glory of your Son. Amen. So, Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for everything. Um, this morning, I, I hope that this is a time of reflection, um, a time of uh, self-examination, um, time of taking a hard look at our, our lifestyles and seeing whether we match up to the word. In fact, Paul, Paul says this in our text um, to, to, in 15, look carefully how you walk. So that, that is my, my hope for us this morning, that we would, we would really take that to heart and the individual points that we go through um, would, would stir us to, to look carefully how we are living. So with that, let's start reading in 5, 1, and we'll read all the way through 21, and then we'll go back and talk about each verse. So starting in 5, 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So last week we talked a little bit about walking. We said that 
Um, Ephesians can be roughly divided up into two big sections, Ephesians 1 through 3, and then Ephesians 4 through 6. 4 through 6 is more practical. And we said within 4 through 6, um, I say more practical, it deals with more things that are on the ground. Um, in 4 through 6, we have this, this theme of walking come up over and over again. So, for example, in 4.1, I therefore, as a, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, um, worthy of your calling. Um, we said in 4.17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Uh, our text this morning, 5.2, walk in love. Verse 15, be careful how you walk. Right. So there's this huge theme of walking. And it can the chapters can be divided up into these kind of sections that start with this phrase. Um, what we said last week was that this walking metaphor is not talking about um, instances in your life. It's talking about your general lifestyle. So we talked about 1 Kings 9.4. And in 1 Kings 9.4, um, it says that David walked according to the commandments of God. Now, if you know David, you know that he didn't always do that. Right? He made mistakes. So when the scriptures say... David walked according to the commandments. What does that mean? Right? It does not mean that David didn't make mistakes because we know that he did. And the scriptures are not hiding that. Right? But it does mean that his general lifestyle, his pattern of living was according to the commandments. Right? So do you see the distinction? This is huge for how we interpret these passages. Um, so here, Paul is picking up on this walking metaphor that's very common in the Old Testament, and he is saying that we need to, our lifestyles need to be conformed in a certain way to the life of Christ. And so that's what he says in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. So this is actually, um, I don't really like this paragraph break here. Um, if you read the, the previous verse, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, therefore be imitators of God. So this is kind of a summary of uh, what we looked at last week. We said that God is, is always the standard for us. So in verse 24, 424, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we said that there's this new creation, this new human, right? That's being contrasted with the old human. And the new human is made after the likeness of God, right? So God is our standard for behavior. We act like God, right? So he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So one, one interesting thing is that this idea of beloved children is often taken to mean, um, you know, something about how God loves us, and that's, that's true. Um, but the scriptures also have this idea where the, a child is connected to his parent in a certain kind of genetic way. So let me explain what I mean. In, in 1 John 3, 7 through 9, it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous, he being God. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil or has been born of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Right? So the idea of being a child of God is certainly that we are loved. But it is also that we are now in the image of our Father. Right? I look like my dad because I have his DNA inside of me. It's the same idea, right? So if, as a child of God, we all, must be conformed to his image. We must be conformed to his pattern of life, right? And so he says in verse 2, and walk in love, right? So the, our general lifestyle must be love. And, and he defines love for us, as Christ loved us, right? So again, we have Christ love as the standard. And so this is, this is a huge, huge thing. Um, 
I think it's it's very very easy for us to to slip into thinking that love is being nice, where we have um, we 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 think you know that you're loving if you you don't say bad things about people or you you know you're just a nice guy, and that that is part of the equation. Um, but some people are just nice. You can have a very nice atheist, but you don't have a self-sacrificing atheist that lives, love, lives and loves like Christ. Right? That's what you, the scriptures are saying. No. If you, if, if you are born of God, then you are going to love like Christ. And that's different than being nice. So we need to be careful about how, how we are defining these things um, it certainly includes many of those sim- same things, you know, being nice, kind, etc. And the scriptures talk about those things. But in particular here, loving others is sacrificial. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, right? This is a different standard, right? This is, I mean, to lo- you can say that you love someone, but it's different to say that you would die for someone. Right? Paul is saying that our standard is we have to be willing to, to lay down our lives for other people. That's, that's the standard. Because Christ is the standard. So, this is really the conclusion of everything we talked about last week. Um, verses 1 and 2. And now we move on to um, 3 through 7 where he, he talks about these, um, he focuses on three sins in particular, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. So I, I want to very briefly talk about words. Um, I am, as most of you know, I'm getting my PhD basically in trying to figure out what words mean. Um, that's all I do all day. Um, so, in particular, these words. Um, so, it's very easy um, sometimes to give a definition for something. So, when we see these words, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness. So, what, what I want to do this morning, in particular, sexual immorality and covetousness, I, I want to define what the word actually means. Um, but then I, I want to go on and say, talk about what the word pointed to in the real world, right? And so this is, this is a different question. Like, we, we can talk about some sort of abstract concept about sexual morality, right? But if we never say, okay, it means X in the world, right? Then it's just kind of useless to us. Right? We need to be able to say, this is what the word means, and this is what it actually points to. Right? And so, to begin with, we have to figure out what, what the word means. Um, so, so, the Greek word, porneia, means, um, I mean, sexual immorality is a very good translation. Um, it's general sexual sin, right? Being immoral in the realm of sexuality, right? Good translation. Um, a different question is what what was Paul thinking of? You know, what would he have said? This is sexual immorality. This is not, right? So we're going to get to that later. Um, again, and so covetousness, same thing, right? It's, it's a good translation, right? We and we know what the word means. Um, I, I think in the scriptures, um, I can we can say covetousness is or greed, desire for more than what God has given you lawfully to enjoy. Right, so it is a a desire, um, and it, it leads to certain things. But greed itself is a desire. So, like I said, I, I know that that is kind of abstract, but we're going to get more to um, what those things mean. But it says here that they should not even be be named among you. So. We should be so far from these things that no one can go, come to us and accuse us of these things, right? And very interestingly, in, in the early church, um, in particular, sexual immorality and covetousness, the church was known 
on the outside as people who were very, very different in the, these regards. So they said there were pagans that were talking about the Christians, and they said they were very, very weird. And the, one of the biggest things that they, they thought they were very odd about was that they took care of not only their own poor, but the whole city's poor, right? Which is, was a very weird thing, right? That you would take care of poor that was not in your group. And then the other thing that they said is, was they shared everything except their wives, right? That's, that's what they said. They shared everything except their wives. So they had this sort of sexual purity that was different than the outside world, right? And they had this loving, um, you know, generosity that was different. So, again, we're going to get to kind of what those things mean, but... Um, very early on in the church, the church was known for this. And you couldn't, you couldn't go to them and say, you know, I think you're being sexually immoral or greed. They would have said, okay, come, come live with me and I'll show you that I'm not. <laughs> right? This is, that, that was the kind of standard that they were being held to and that's what they were fulfilling. And he says, as is proper among saints. Right? The, the idea is that if you, are, if you are a saint, you won't be doing these things. Right? A saint means to essentially be distinct in moral goodness. Right? If I were to give a little definition, it's distinct in moral goodness. And so you, they, were, they were different than the outside world. So verse 4, it says, Let there be no foolishness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So we talked a little bit last week about um, how we talk. And, again, I think I mentioned this last week. This is not one of those things where I can bring a lot of insight into uh, what the words mean as much as we just need to do it. Um, so it's, it's very, very simple. I mean, I think, you know, you, you replace the filthiness, foolish talk, crude jo- joking with Thanksgiving. This is, again, not something like... Like, oh, tell me what this means. This is something we just need to go out there and do it. Um, and, and so I, I do think, though, um, this idea of replacing these things with, with thanksgiving. We, again, we talked about this last week that a lot of times when we see these kind of two extremes, we, we think, oh, I, well, I fall somewhere in, in the middle. Right? So... We need to be careful, I think, about how we, we read some of these texts. It's easy to say, okay, well, I don't, I don't do that much crude joking, so I'm okay. But the, the, the point is that you are replacing what's bad with what's good, right? You're not just getting rid of the bad thing. You're replacing it with Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving, in particular, is, is a mindset, right? It's a mindset that that everything you have been given has been given by God, right? And when you have that mindset, when that mindset has seeped into your soul, you do talk about those things, right? This is the whole point, is that what you talk about is a reflection of your heart. So if you're thinking about filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking, you'll say it. If you're thinking about how much God has given you all the time, you'll say thanksgiving right that's the point so we move on right verse five for you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of god of christ and god let no one deceive you with empty words For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So, when when I was actually told, like, several months ago, that I had to preach this text, it made me nervous because of these verses. Um, These are the verses that haunt me at night. Um... So, so, Paul seems to be very, very clearly saying that if you are sexually immoral, impure, or covetous, you will not inherit the kingdom. Um, so he doesn't just say this here. Uh, he actually says it all the time. And the scriptures say it all the time. So 
I'll give you some, some quick examples. Uh, so Colossians 3, 5 and 6. It says, uh, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Um, Galatians 5, 19 and 21. Um, says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I could go on. Um, it's interesting that in James 2, in, in particular, the, the, this whole thing with covetousness, James 2 talks about true and false faith. Uh, and he says that there is faith that leads to works and faith that doesn't. And he says, he gives an example of the faith that leads to works. And the example that he gives for faith that, that works is faith that leads you to give to the poor. That's in James 2, 14 through 17. Um, he also talks about the miseries that are coming upon the rich in James 5. Um, in 1 John 3, 16 through 18, it says that the fruit of, um, that, that God's love does not abide in you if you do not give to the poor. So, this is something that isn't, isn't found just here. Um, it is all over the place. And Paul actually says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, right? So, presumably, he knows that there are some people that will say the opposite of this, right? They probably won't say, greed's good. Sexual morality, good, right? But, but the, the temptation for us is not to say that. The temptation for us is to say, it's not as bad as he's making it out to be, right? Or you can continue to do it, and you you won't really face the consequences, right? That's, that's the temptation. Consistently, in the Old Testament, false prophets, when they arise, they arise, first of all, within the church, within the people of God. And it's not that they say, we're going to get away with the law. We're just going to do away with it. We're not going to worry about it. They say, God is still going to be gracious to you, even though you are living in your sin. Consistently, that is what they say over and over and over again. They say, destruction's not coming. It's not. It's not. You're going to be okay. Right? And, and so this is, I think, what Paul has in mind. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Why? Because, of the, because on account of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So he's very, very clear. I, I, again, this is not something that... Um, this is something that we need to... to Submit to, not figure out what it says, right? This is extraordinarily clear, but it's hard to submit to. So the, the big question is, what does it mean to be sexually immoral or covetous? Now I'm skipping over impure because I honestly don't know. Um, I know what the word means. I know that it was used for. Um, you know, it, it, unclean in the Old Testament. It's the same, the same, the Greek word is reflecting this unclean word in the Old Testament. I don't know what it pointed to in the real world. So that's why I'm skipping it. Um, but sexually immoral or covetous, I have a better idea. So, um, I, mean, I mean, generally I think impure is quite broad. But, um, so, so, so let me begin with kind of a, a parable of my own first. Um, so let's say, that you're, you're asked if you are a carpenter. I, I, I realized I was flipping a house this past year, um, or a year ago, finishing up, and there's this guy that came up to the house and he called me a carpenter. 
And I said, I wouldn't use that label for me. Um, I'm, I'm really not, I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, so I, it kind of just took me aback. And like, I realized that some people use the word as sort of like a generic, like, oh, you're good at wood stuff. Um, and, but, but, I, but I said to myself, you know, I, I, I will never use that label for me. Um, but it, so let me ask you, if, if, you, um, if you had to decide whether to label yourself a carpenter or not, right? And let's say that writing on this correct labeling was a million dollars, one way or the other. Right? So if you got the label correct, whether you put you were a carpenter or not, right, you would get a million dollars. If you got it wrong, you would owe a million dollars. Right? Just parable. How how careful would you be about figuring out exactly what the label meant? Right? Think about it. You you'd say, okay, how are we actually defining this word? Right? Like, what does it mean to be a carpenter? Because, like, me, I'm kind of on the edge. Like, if you define it a certain way, you might call me a carpenter. Right? So I would say, please give me a more detailed explanation of what this word means. Right? That's what I would say. What does it point to in the real world? Right? So this is what I think we need to do for these types of words. So one, one opening question I have for us is how how much have we looked into passages like these and tried to figure out exactly what this word meant not not just like okay I know I know generally what it means to be greedy but what does it mean for me to say I like this person is greedy right again we're talking about lifestyle here this is walking Right? What does that mean? So I, again, have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, my, my concern is, is this, that if we define what it looks like in the world to, um, to be sexually immoral or to be covetous, if we define those things differently than how Paul defined it, right? It's very... Um, it's very easy to say that you know I'm sex- not sexually immoral, not greedy, according to my culture, right? But it's different to say I'm not those things according to Paul's culture because Paul is different. He's talking at a different time, different place, right? And we need to go by his definitions. So, you know, for example, what what is considered you know proper dress code today? is very, very, very different than what is considered proper dress code 100 years ago, right? Very different. Beach included, pool included, right? And even even other cultures in the world. You know, you go to, to Israel, and you go to some beaches that are quote-unquote normal, but other, others, like, where, where the religious people are, they don't, they don't take off all their clothes to, to get wet. And it's, it's, it's interesting because for us, it's normal, right? It's just normal. And so, and so it's, it's, it's tough to figure out, you know, what was Paul, what did Paul mean? Um, television as well. You know, it is completely normal for us to watch someone commit adultery on television, on some sort of show, right? Normal. It's normal for us to watch them commit sexual immorality. Right? It's normal for us to see appeals to sexuality in commercials on TV. Normal. Right? I don't think it was normal for them. At least, at least not in that way. Right? So we need to be very, very careful about what, what these things mean. Um, so covetousness. The, the early church, I think in this respect, was, was very, very different. So I will, uh, this is something that I have been looking into for a very long time. Um, I'll, I'll give you a, a very, very quick rundown of some of the early church fathers and what they said about this, this sort of topic. So Irenaeus explains in Against Heresies, 
which is a book that he wrote. Th th these are all people from you know, 150 AD to 350 AD, somewhere around there. So Irenaeus explains in Against Heresies that Christ's commands um, necessitate giving all of our possessions to the poor. Tertullian in the Apology describes the practice of the early church as sharing goods with one another without hesitation and as collecting money weekly to distribute to the needy in the community. Basil says in one of his sermons that those who have the means to help the poor but refuse to do so are thieves and murderers. It is said of Chrysostom that one can hardly find a sermon which he preached that, that did not have some appeal to help the poor. And he recommended it in a sermon on 2 Corinthians giving away all except that which was needed to live a healthy life. And finally, Augustine, one of the most influential theologians of all time, said in one of his sermons, The superfluous goods of the rich are necessary to the poor, and when you possess the superfluous, you possess what is not yours. So, these are, again, I'm not saying they're right or wrong, I'm saying they're different. Okay? So, this is something that we need to figure out, you know, what, what, what did he mean when he said covetous? Because the reality is we all know theoretically that we live in a materialistic culture, right? But it's very, very hard for us to look back at ourselves and say, I'm the one. I'm the problem, right? It's very easy to say, they're, they're out there. You know, our culture is materialistic. That's bad, right? Very hard to say, I need to change, right? So, I again, I... I'm not even saying that they're right. I think that they lean more towards being right than we do. Um, most of them. Craig Bloomberg is a, is a modern New Testament scholar. Um, he wrote a book called Neither Poverty Nor Riches that I would highly recommend. He says that those who have even a modest surplus of goods, so he, he goes through, sorry, he goes through um, goods from Old Testament. How, how do you deal with possessions from Old Testament? all the way through to New Testament times. Right? So he just every verse in the Bible, every passage he talks about, he covers it. So he says, those who have even a modest surplus of goods with which they could help the destitute, but refuse to do so, prove thereby that they are not truly Christian, regardless of any profession they may make. Now, I'm again, we all have this idea in our heads of true professions and false professions, right? So we can say, I I, I profess Christ, I say I'm a believer. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, we know that there are some people that don't really care, right? And we say, this is not what true Christianity is about, right? If you, if you say that you are a Christian, but you are on the side running the mafia, we would say, you are not living up to your profession, right? Your profession is probably not true, right? So it's very important for us to say, okay, we're, we're willing to distinguish between true and false faith, but we need to distinguish between true and false faith the way that the scriptures do it, right? And so here, Paul is clearly saying that if you're greedy, if you're covetous, this is not a part of what it means to be a Christian, right? He says you won't inherit the kingdom. And so we need to figure out what this covetousness is, right? So I, I think, um, you know, according to... The early church, according to Paul, I, I can give you very a, a lot of passages, but um, covetousness is consistently defined in the real world as people who accumulate more than what is necessary so that they don't give to others. Right? You can see this in the, the parable of the, the rich fool, right? He gets a raise, right? He, he gets more surplus goods, he builds a bigger barn. God says, I'll, I'm going to kill you for it, right? So the, the idea is that when we accumulate more than what is necessary, what we do with those goods is, should be to give to God in His kingdom. Right? That's, that's the idea. And actually, last week, we talked about this. It says that in verse 28, 428, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So we said that you work, you and I should work, to give away, right? This is a different thing than saying, I'm going to work, right, for, for my own necessities. That's fine. That's good. I am not arguing against that. I am saying that Paul, Paul says that you should work to give, to share with anyone in need. And this means sacrificing some of the things that we have. That's what this means, 
right? To, to love like Christ loved is to sacrifice our material comfort, our material wealth, for the good of those who are dying without the gospel. Again, this is, from a theoretical perspective, I don't think this is that difficult. It is just hard to do. It's hard to do when our culture doesn't do it. It's hard to do when people don't say that we have to. Um, but that's what I, I... I think the scriptures are very clearly calling us to, to love like Christ loved with our money as well. right? And that means self-sacrificing. So I could go on, but we have more verses to cover. Um, I, I do want to at least encourage all of us to, to figure out, to really try to do our homework as best as possible and to ask, what, what, do, we, what do we think about what it means to be a carpenter, right? Like how sure are we? This is a monumental thing. How sure are we of what it means to be greedy, to be sexually immoral, right? And I say this, again, like, in fear and trembling before you, um, did not want to, part of me, for sure, did not want to preach on this passage because of this, right? Because I know that this is not fun. But nevertheless, this is, this is not just life and death, okay? Life and death is trivial. This is heaven and hell. Right? Life and death, you can get by with. Okay? You're going to live forever somewhere. Life and death is small. But heaven and hell is not. Right? And he says that you should not be deceived. So there are going to be people out there trying to deceive us about these things. And so we need to be extra careful. So in verse 7, he says, Therefore, do not become partners with them. Right? So he says that. Um, we need to be careful about who is influencing us, right? And this is a huge thing about where all of this starts, right? It starts with other people influencing us, right? Now, this is a very fine line we have to walk because we need to be out there with people who don't know Christ, right? Influencing them, um, but we also are told that we don't need to be partners with those who are sinners so that they can influence us. Um, so we need to be, this just takes wisdom um, to figure out, you know, am I being influenced or am I influencing? Right? The reality is both are happening all the time. That's, that's the reality. Um, but the question is, you know, how, how is my heart being influenced in particular um, you know, by people who are sexually immoral, impure, or covetous, um, how is my heart being influenced by them, right? Am I becoming partners with them in their deeds, or are they coming towards me, right? That's, that is our calling. So, and then in verse 8 through 14, he begins to talk about darkness and light. Um, it's very very interesting that um, this is there was a community um, at, at a place called Qumran in Israel they were um, probably a group of the Essenes and they have this, this theme of being sons of darkness and sons of light in their writings um, because it doesn't really show up very much in the Old Testament so it's 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 quite interesting. One of the one of the things about how they use these terms is that the the sons of light are are those who are chosen to be um, you know the moral agents for good in the world. That's essentially what it means to be a a son of light, and it fits actually very very well with what Paul is talking about here. So he says, for at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So the idea is that um, if we are 
um, you know, Paul is assuming that the Ephesian church are, are true Christians. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So again, this idea of walking. Our lifestyles need to be conformed to God. Right? For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. What one very important thing I think is the next line and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord we talked about this last week the, the, all sin and, and all good deeds for that matter start in the mind every single one of them your mind is the gateway to everything right so it's very important for us practically to renew our mind right that's why Paul says over and over and over again renew your mind right and we actually said last week um, in, in verse 23, 423, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds is something that in the Greek is very clear that it is not a one-time thing. It's something that you have to do over and over and over and over and over again. Right? So the idea is that you would be continually renewing your mind all the time. And so here, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because this is something you have to do all the time. Right? You're always trying to figure out what will make God happy, right? For lack of a better term, but that, that, is your, that is our mindset, right? How can I bring pleasure to God? That's, that is this transformed thinking of being a son of, of light. So, you know, our, my, my question for us, again, myself included, is... You know, is, is this our mindset? It's very, it's so easy to think, you know, how do I please this person, right? Especially when you're worried about your reputation in front of them or, you know, they might be your boss, whatever. It's very, very easy for us to think, how do I please this person? Um, but, but God says, Paul says that, our mindset constantly needs to be, how do I please God, right? And that may or may not coincide with pleasing other people. Often doesn't. So moving on, how? so the, he talks about these people in, in darkness, right? Um, verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So how, how do we deal with these unfruitful, um, dark deeds? Well, obviously, in verse 11, take no part in them. But then it goes a step further, expose them, right? So again, this is where it's, it's so much easier to do the first than the second, right? I, what the, the first um, message I preached... In Mexico, I was talking about John the Baptist. I've been thinking about him a lot over the past year, but he he died because he did this, right? He died because he exposed the works of someone that was evil. I mean, he he was so committed to this principle that he got his head chopped off for it, right? This is a this is a huge thing. Um, it, unlikely to happen to us today you know to die for something like this but you will face consequences you will right if you if you tell someone that that what they are doing is wrong they're not usually going to like you for it right that's usually not something that happens um and yet this is what this is what we're called to 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 not only not take part in these things, but to expose them, right? Our, our job is to be the, the moral force for good in the world. And if we are not, no one will be, right? This is a ch- the job that the, chur- that the church has been given. The Holy Spirit is, God is working through the church to do this, to bring light to the world. And if the church doesn't do it, it doesn't happen, I'm not limiting God. I'm just saying that's how God said he's going to do it. Right? God can do it different ways. But he chose to do it this way. Right? And so we have to do this. 
Verse 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that... Sorry, I lost my place. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, this is interesting. This, this idea of light here in 14 seems to be connected with resurrection. So, O sleeper, sleeper is a, a euphemism for, for death, a dead person, right? It just means you're dead. So, awake, you know, O dead person, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, the, I, the picture of resurrection for us, the resurrection means a, a lot of things, um, but, but one thing that it, it means is that um, Christ has defeated darkness, right? And we are supposed to enact this resurrected life in our lives, right? And so Paul says, you know, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, so what that means is when, when we are, um, are living this sort of resurrected life, this new creation, right, we should be calling other people to rise from the dead, to come out from their evil works, right, and to come into the light of God's kingdom and grace, right? That's, that's the idea. So our last section, verses 15 through 21, um, he begins, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So this, this section is about, um, again, this kind of self-reflective idea. Look carefully how you walk. So again, I, my question for us is, is um, how, how careful are we about our, our lifestyles? How much do we self-reflect about the, our deeds and, how, and what we are and are not doing well? Um, I mean, personally, I, I used to be much, much better at this. I would write in a journal every single morning and every single night, just, just figuring out um, who I was. Right? I did this. I didn't do this. This is what I should have done. Right? Um, but I, I haven't been doing it well. Um, but he says here, look, look carefully. Right? He doesn't just say look, but look carefully. And that is in Greek too. Um, this is something that we need to be, we don't just need to do, but we need to do well. Right? We need to, we need to figure out Again, again, if just thinking about it in other spheres, right? If we're going to be very, very careful about you know how we're doing a project for our boss, we would take certain measures to do that, right? It's the same thing here. We need to take this certain measures to figure out how we are walking, right? And then we need to walk as wise, not unwise. And, and he goes on to talk about this, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So I'm going to start with the days are evil and go back to the wise, unwise, best use of the time thing. So in, in the New Testament, there's um, the Old Testament as well, for that matter. There's, there's these sort of ages. Um, so in, in the New Testament, it seems like Paul says that the age that they are currently in is, is bad, is an evil age, right? And then it will be restored when um, Jesus returns and a new age, the final age, will begin. So we, we saw this, you guys saw it, I wasn't here. Ephesians 2, um, verse 2, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So it seems like Paul is saying that there are there's this force, power of the air, I mean, it's, it's Satan, right? Um, that is currently ruling in some way the world, right? And so he, he says that we're in this evil age. So in 16, he says, make the best use of the time. So what does it mean to make the best use of the time? This does not mean being super efficient, right? Um, the I, I actually don't think this is 
the best translation. Um, there are two words for time in Greek, chronos and kairos. Kairos is like um, an opportune time. So this is making the best use, or uh, some translations will have redeeming, right? But it's making the best use of the opportune time, right? So the idea is that, that because the days are evil, we're only going to have some opportunities to, um, you know, to, to expose these evil works, right? We're surrounded by darkness, and we need to take um, every opportunity that comes up to, to expose these things and to live contrary to these things. We need to take them, right? Because darkness is all around us. So that, that's the idea. And that's what it means to live, live wisely, right? Um, to figure out what God's will is and then to, to do it in this evil world. So then he says in 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we talked about this. First, we need to understand what is pleasing to God, and then we need to do it. 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the, to the Lord with your heart. So, we talked about last week's sensuality. Do not get drunk with wine. Um, Obviously, the verse is not saying do not drink wine. If it was saying do not drink wine, it would say do not drink wine. But it says do not get drunk with wine. Um, the The scriptures are never condemn um, emotion. They condemn the the type of emotion or the object of emotion, right? So we said last week we talked about be angry and do not sin, right? We said that. And the word for angry is reflected in the Hebrew as, as like trembling, right? So it's a very like physical response to things. We will have those physical responses. It's inevitable. The question is what we do with it, right? So here, same thing. Wine is a good thing. It is. It was created by God. Therefore, equals good, right? That's, that's the, the test. Um, the question is what we do with it. And, and we talked about it last week with, with food as well. You know, when you see, um, you know, commercials never appeal to food in the way that, that God designed them to, to be used, right? They never say, here is a Big Mac. You should worship God for it, right? They said, here is a Big Mac. You should worship it, right? You should worship the taste that it can give you, right? But the point is that all of these things are not bad. It's just that they are, they are poorly used, Right? And so wine is the same way. We, we, we don't get drunk with wine. Right? We, we are satisfied with the taste that God has given us. And we are satisfied in Him because of how He made it. Right? That's, that's different. Um, and so what, why, what getting drunk reflects is this, this worship of, of this taste itself. Right? It's, it's saying that I, I'm so consumed with, with the taste and, and not with God that I, I, can't, I can't get past only wanting another cup, right? That's, that's the point. But this is true of everything, right? Every sensual thing. I mean, it's true of a donut as well. Seriously. I, I mean, the, the scriptures, this is not something that talks about, but the scriptures warn against too many sweets. Proverbs, you can go read it. Um, 22, 23. But the, the, the point is that in all things, right, we, we see the sense and we direct it back up to God. This is what he's wanting us to do. So he says, instead of getting drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit, right? This, this next line is, is really weird to me. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Greek, it's the normal word for just talking to one another. So it's like we should be talking to one another with these songs, um, which I just found weird. I don't know how you would even practically do that. Like, I'm supposed to come to you and talk to you Amazing Grace or something like that. Um, it's, it's weird. But, 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 but I think the, the main point, and this is something that is huge for me personally, um, is that we are... When we talk to one another, we're not supposed to just talk about God, right? We're not just supposed to talk about spiritual things, but we are supposed to talk 
with our hearts filled with God's goodness, right? This idea of spiritual songs, hymns, um, it's not just... It's not just like, hey, you know, what do you think about um, this passage, right? But it's this truth in God's word is incredible, right? That's different. It's, it's different to talk about God and to talk like, like God is real and God is good, right? So that's, I think, the idea that he's getting at. Not necessarily that you know we would rhyme every other line, but that we would have our hearts filled with God's goodness, and that would overflow in how we talk to each other. So 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, giving thanks is a mindset. We just recognize that God has given us everything, and we are thankful. And then in 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, this is connected to next week. Um, so I'm going to mostly just let the next person do it. Um, in Greek, in, in 22, wives submit to your own husbands. The submit is not there. It's, it should be something like submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ, wives to husbands. Right? So the idea is that... Um, you know, the submitting of wives is, is how this verse 21 plays itself out, but enough of next week. Um, so for us, submitting, so this is general, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we must submit to one another. Um, again, I, I mentioned this with, you know, loving like Christ loved. Um, it is not enough for us with this just to to try to be humble to to someone else, right? The reason needs to be out of reverence for Christ, right? It's it's very easy for us. We know the right answer in our culture, in our like Christian culture. We know the first will be last, and the, and the last first, right? So I'm gonna try to submit myself. Right? But the point is that if you are reverent for Christ, this flows out of your heart. Right? So if we want to submit to one another in humility, we first need to be reverent to Christ. And again, last week we mentioned Christ, the idea of Christ is king. Right? It is not a vacuous word. It, mean, it meant something to Paul when he wrote it every single time. And so it makes a whole lot of sense to say submitting to one another out of reverence for the king of the universe, right? When you see that the king of the universe was humble, then you can be humble too, right? That's, that's the idea. So um, just to kind of wrap everything up, I know these... these Things in Ephesians are these passages in Ephesians are so hard because there's so many different things, um, and it's hard to preach <laughs> because of that. Uh, because I feel like I'm spraying bullets everywhere. Um, talk, talk. We need to talk about talking. We need to talk about covetous sexual morality, time, wise. Okay. So I just to conclude again. I I, I started and I said that I think there's a time for everything. Um, Solomon says there, there are time, there's a time um, to you know to do everything that God has created and there is a time in the scriptures um, when we read passages to say you know wow I am amazed at how much God loves right I'm amazed at, at his grace um, I think it it is um, in our culture. There's a tendency to to hedge everything with this idea of, well, God still loves you, right? Um, to say we can we can have a message, and at, at the end, as long as we get to the fact that God loves us, uh, we're we're good. We're well balanced. Um, I, I really think that if if Jesus were to come today, a lot of people would call him a legalist 
because he didn't always do that. Right? Sometimes he would just go to a crowd and say, hate your father and mother, take up your cross, come follow me, see ya. Right? And then you're like, where's the grace? Right? Where, where's the forgiveness? And he, he just doesn't, he just says, listen, you need to give up everything for me, I'm worth it. And then he just leaves. Right? Um, I, I think we need to be, to be careful about um, running too quickly to, to these things that are, that are good and true. Right? But, but there are times for everything. And I think that that includes um, reflecting about things. You know, questioning ourselves. Um, again, it's, it's not popular to question yourself. It's not question, popular to say, stand up here and say, you should question your life. You should even, even question your salvation. Not popular, right? Um, because we want to say, but God loves you. God has forgiven you. That's what you need to, that's what you need to hold on to, right? Um, the, the, the question here is, is, is our faith real? Right? That, that is the question. Are we reflecting God? Are we living up to the standard that Christ has set for us? Right? When, when Jesus comes to his, his followers, he says, follow me. Right? And he, he's beckoning them to be like him. Right? We can't say that we're followers of Christ if we don't be like him. Right? It doesn't work. And in the same way, we can't, we can't assume that we have all the benefits of a follower of Christ if we're not actually a follower. Right? It's the same thing with the, with the carpenter. I can't say, like, if I say I'm a carpenter, that's fine. But it, I have to actually be one, right, if I'm going to get the benefits of that. Right? And so for us, I, I, I want to just encourage all of us to, to read the passage on our own time and to just say, you know, is, is this who I am? At the end of the day, it, it's summed up in verse 1. Be an imitator of God, right? Be an imitator of God. Can I say about my life that I walk in love as Christ loved? And that's hard. It, it's not hard if we just don't take it very seriously. It's hard if you really look at the life of Christ. And I, I'm, I'm not excluding myself at all from any of this. But it's important. Right? Everything rides on the question of how we define this life. Right? This life of Christ. Everything rides on that. Right? How, how, how do we live like Him? I mean, this is why I am living in Israel. I want to figure out what these words mean. Seriously, that's why I'm there. I need to figure out exactly what this life looks like. And I want to do it. Right? But for us, it needs to start with humility. Right? We have to be willing to ask ourselves the hard question. What did Christ live like? And am I living like this? Right? We have to be willing to ask the question. And so that's just what I would encourage all of us to do, is to take time to, to reflect and to, to forget for, for five minutes about you know, all of the, the voices inside of us saying, you know, I'm good because of X, Y, and Z, right? I know I'm fine. But to just reflect. So let's pray. God, your word is a two-edged sword. And it feels like one sometimes. Lord, I ask that we would expose whatever is in our lives that is not like you. That we would seek 
to be conformed to who you are, that we would imitate you in all that we do. And Lord, I, we, we are all so, so humbled by your forgiveness, by your love. Lord, it is incredible that you offer grace to sinners such as us. But Lord, you have said in your word that that grace has certain effects. And I just ask that that grace would affect our lives in the way that you have said it does for those who believe in you. Lord, I ask that your spirit would pour out upon us that we would, we would long to live like you. We would long to be like you. Lord, let us love as you loved. Let us sacrifice ourselves as you sacrificed yourself. Lord, we just ask that, that you would be everything to us. That we would hold nothing back. That we would look to eternity and realize that if we give up everything for you now, we have given up nothing but gained everything. So Lord, we just ask for hearts that would yearn for this. We ask for your spirit that he would transform us, that he would convict us where we need to be convicted and comfort us where we need to be comforted. Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Please help us. Help us to listen to it. To pay careful attention to our lives. To pay careful attention to your word. And Lord, let us seek with all of our hearts to be conformed to your Son. To follow him wherever he may lead us. We pray all of this for his glory and for his kingdom. Amen.